The Lord had said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram left as the Lord had told him. Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram traveled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. The Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. Now we're going to look at Acts chapter 1. So Luke, the one who wrote the gospel of Luke, he also wrote the book of Acts. This is like part two of a two-volume series. So in my former book, the book of Luke, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these people and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift. My father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So, when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He might as well have said, you, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So this morning, uh, we're, we're going we're gonna to do a little something different. Um, we're going to climb on an airplane together, and we're going to sort of go up really high, and we're going to cruise at about 40,000 feet so that we can look down at the world of the Bible from beginning uh, to the end, okay? And one of the things that happens when we do this is a certain pattern begins to emerge, right? Certain things that we can sort of see in a little different way when we look at it from way up high. It's almost as if from way up high in the sky, we can see like this river that runs all the way through the scriptures, and it's consistent. It's like this pattern, or it's like this this mountain range that you can see from way up high. If you're, if you're down low looking up at the mountain range, you can't see the whole thing. But if you're way up high, you can see this beautiful pattern running across the landscape. So the reason we're going to do this this morning is because I think we want to answer a very important question. And uh, this question might, might just be the most important question we can ask, at least one of the most important questions that we can ever ask, maybe one of the most dangerous questions that we can, we can ever ask. And that question is this, what in the world is God up to? What 
is God doing? Because sometimes we look out at the world and we're like, God, what are you doing? Like we want to know what the divine is up to. You see, God isn't some far off deity somewhere up there in space, floating around there, wherever it is that we think heaven is, uh, and only once in a while messes around down here. No, we believe that God is alive and active and intimately involved in the lives of us human beings, right? As close to us as the very air we breathe. It's why when we end worship together, I always say the grace of Jesus, the love of God, and the power and the presence of the Spirit go with us all now in every single moment of every single day. We believe that God is that close, intimately involved in our lives. And if that is the case, then what in the world is God doing? Just sitting on God's hands, doing nothing? What is God up to? Well, fortunately, we have this book, and we call it the Bible. It is the story of God interacting with the world interacting in the lives of human beings and they experienced the divine and they sometimes struggled with what that meant and then they recorded it for us and now we can sort of look at it. And so now we're all aboard, we're cruising way up high at at about 40,000 feet looking down at the world of the Bible. And we begin to look down at the world of the Bible from beginning to end. We notice that this book begins in a garden and way at the end of the book, it ends in a garden. Are you familiar with these two gardens? It begins in the well-known Garden of Eden. So you've got Adam and Eve, these perfect little images of God roaming around the garden in perfect relationship with one another, in perfect relationship with all of creation, in perfect relationship with God, and all is good and well and beautiful, and the picture is just amazing until the forbidden fruit is taken and it is eaten and consumed. So this thing we call sin enters the world, right? And, and sin is another way of talking about a broken relationship. So this perfect relationship between Adam and Eve, humanity and God is now broken. This relationship between humanity and all of creation is now broken. This relationship between humanity and humanity itself is now broken. There's something wrong there, right? And then from that point on, from Genesis chapter 3 all the way to the end to Revelation chapter 22, this book reveals to us how God is working at making what's wrong in the world right again. It's the record of God beginning to transform everything, taking the broken relationship between us and God and making it whole again. It's about transformation. It's about restoration from garden to sin-stained, messed-up world back to garden again. So, in Revelation, at the end of it all, we got the first garden. Now we've got this other thing at the end. In Revelation chapter 22, there's, it's described as the new city of Jerusalem is coming down. Heaven is coming down. Now, a lot of times when we think about heaven, I don't know where this happened or how we got this idea, but we think of heaven as some place we just go and we die. And it's up there somewhere, out there somewhere. But when the Bible talks, it's some future reality. But when the Bible talks about about it. The, the Bible talks about heaven actually coming down. Instead of us flying off somewhere, heaven actually comes down. And heaven and earth finally collide and become one, right? And it makes this great, beautiful, grand city at the end. You can read about it in Revelation 22. But if we read carefully enough, we notice that this city is actually a garden. It's a 
Garden City. It's New Jersey. <laughs> it's the Garden State, the Garden So it will happen. Jesus will come back at New Jersey. And in, in uh, yeah, anyway. So, <laughs> so listen to what Revelation 22 says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the, of the tree are for the healing of the nations. So that's at the end. So we've got the garden at the beginning, and then we've got this middle, the, the part where we've got this sin-stained, messed-up world. And then at the end of it all, heaven comes down, and we've got this garden again. So what's God up to? God is on a mission, making what's wrong in the world right again, transformation, taking that which is broken and making it whole again, restoration. A little bit earlier in Revelation, God makes it absolutely clear what he's up to in this world. Revelation chapter 21, verse 5, God says this, look, which is another way of saying see, which is another way of saying behold which is another way of saying, look, pay attention. I am making all things new. It's just explicit. Look, see, behold, pay attention. I am making all things new. That's what I'm up to in this world. So that's what God is up to. Now, at this point, we got to ask ourselves another very important question. How is God accomplishing this task? this mission? How does God go about making that happen? And the answer to that question has to be one of the most startling things that we can come across in the Bible. One of the most amazing things. One of the, one of the things that we kind of didn't see that one coming, and maybe this doesn't make much sense, but it's God, and it's how God chooses how to, how to accomplish his mission. Guess what he does? He uses people to do it. Of all things. He uses people to do it. He uses the very same people who made a mess of things in the first place. <laughs> what? And it all starts with this, this couple, Abram and Sarai in Genesis chapter 12. We talked a lot about it last week. It goes like this. God comes to Abram and says, leave your country, your people, your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So, in a world in which tribes are the big thing, you have a tribe, you put walls around your tribe, you need to do everything you can to protect your tribe over and against everybody else, right? And so God says, no, I'm creating a new kind of nation, a new tribe, a, a tribe that isn't about all that stuff. This tribe is a tribe about blessing. It's about giving itself away. You will be a blessing and all peoples on earth will be blessed you. So we're doing something new here. We're creating a new kind of community. We're doing something different here. I'm beginning to put all things back together again, Abram, and I'm starting with you. So after Abram comes 
a son. His name is Isaac. Then after Isaac, we have Jacob, who wrestles with God and whose name is changed to Israel, the one who wrestles with God. And then there are 12 more sons that come from Israel, out of which come the 12 tribes of Israel. So soon, from Abram, we have this whole nation, a great nation, a whole entire nation full of people commandeered by God to help God work out his will in the world, which is transformation, which is restoration, which is putting things back together again, which is taking that which is wrong in the world and making it right again. And then we read about this nation of Israel and we're like, yay, they always got it right and did the right thing. And now we live in a perfect world. No, there were a bunch of fits and starts They went through this pattern of ups and downs, from order to chaos, from obedience to disobedience. But soon, the time was right. And when the time is right, out of this nation comes one, comes the Messiah. We know him as Jesus of Nazareth, right? And about Jesus of Nazareth, John, the gospel writer, he says this, He says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. And then the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So, God became one of us, moved into the neighborhood in the person of Jesus. Now, listen to this. We talked about this about two months ago, so we're going to talk about it again. This is what he had to say about himself. This is about what he's, this was his personal mission statement. So he stood up in a synagogue in his hometown and he said this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor, right? He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to free the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What does that sound like to you? Sounds a lot like transformation to me. Sounds a whole lot like restoration to me, or perhaps we could use another word. Sounds like salvation to me. And and then Jesus does just that. He does those things, right? He lives out his mission statement. He walks around Galilee, loving the unlovable, accepting the unacceptable, healing the broken, helping the blind to see and the deaf to hear, making what's wrong in the world right again. What else does he do? He uses people. (laughs) He uses people to help him accomplish his mission. He calls them disciples. He calls 12 regular old human beings like you and me with all their warts and flaws and fears and inadequacies. He calls them followers. He calls them students, disciples. He teaches them what God is like. He shows them what it really means to be a human being and how we ought to be in the world. And of all things, they begin to get it. They form this little community formed by grace and love and healing and forgiveness. And they begin to make noise in the world, right? Noise that the powers that be, they didn't like very much, felt threatened by it. 
So the powers that be tries to get rid of this new community by, by cutting off its head, by getting rid of the leader. So they kill Jesus. They crucify him, dead, buried. But we know that that wasn't the end, right? Three days later, he rose from the grave. Resurrection. What's wrong in the world, sin and death, finally made right again. Forgiveness and new life. So here we have this resurrected Jesus, right? He's got this cool new body. It's transformed. It's made new. It's really extraordinary. You can touch him. You can hug him. Right? He eats stuff, he eats food, and he can also walk through doors and walls. And it's like, that's amazing. So at that point, it's the perfect time for Jesus to sort of reveal himself to the world. I kind of I picture him like Superman, like floating up in the air, like, look at all my power. I'm new and wah. And it's perfect. It's the perfect time. It's what I would have done. I would have been like, look at me, world, bow down and worship me, right? It's the perfect time for him to finally and fully establish his kingdom the way he wants things and make sure that everybody does what he wants them to do. It's the perfect time for him to do this. But he doesn't do that. Nope. He doesn't do that. Instead, he ascends into heaven. But before he goes... He gathers his followers together, this new community, and he says to them something like this, hmm, I'm giving you my spirit. I'm now going to live in you. And when the spirit comes, you will be my witnesses to this, to this love and healing and forgiveness and transformation and grace and restoration. You will continue the work that I began. You will continue to do what I have been doing, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea, and then you're going to go to Samaria, and then it's going to be all the way to the ends of the earth. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Oh, so he does what he's been doing all along. He says, I'm going to work through people. How about that? The church, you and me and trillions of others, we're called to work with God at the transformation and restoration of everything, making all things new again. Like all kinds of groups of people have tried it, and the very specific way that they tried it has been proven to not work. Right? Politicians haven't gotten it done. Power from the top, forcing people to do what we want them to do. Lawmakers haven't gotten it done. Again, power from the top, forcing people to do what we want them to do. The police force hasn't gotten it done. Nope. The military hasn't gotten it done. Again, from the top down, forcing people to do what we want them to do. No, it hasn't worked. It hasn't worked yet because only God can bring the transformation and restoration. And God's plan is to use ordinary people with all our warts and flaws and failures and inadequacies, people like you and me bubbling up from underneath subversively in the world in order to make it happen. Now, who wouldn't want to be a part of that? You are called to be a part of the restoration and transformation, the renewal of all things. Is there a better idea out there? Is there a better story out there? 
I haven't found it. Friends, once you begin to understand that, when you begin to believe, or better yet, when you begin to, to become captured by this idea, your whole life is wrecked. Your whole life is wrecked. It's turned completely upside down, flipped on its head. Your whole life is wrecked because we begin to believe and understand that our lives aren't about ourselves. That your little life, my little life, our little life together here at Renew Community, it's not about us. It's not about ourselves. We begin to understand that we're caught up in something much, 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 much bigger than just our own little lives. We begin to understand that God wants to work in us and through us for the transformation, the restoration, the renewal of all things, all things. And as I look out on this room right now, there are all kinds of stories. I don't know all your stories. I wish I knew all your stories, but, but I can see people who've been captured by this. I know that some of you have been just giving your life to this for a very long time, and you're actually doing really amazing things in this world. Once you've been captured by this story, once you've been captured by this reality, it flips your whole life upside down. And about 20 years ago, there was this, this church in Des Moines. Um, it's called Meredith Drive Reform Church. Um, they decided that they needed to get in on what God was doing in the world up in Ankeny. And so they called this couple, Mike and Sarah, and they gathered a group of people from among themselves and they sent them leave and go to the land I will show you. In this case, it was Ankeny, right? They started this little church and they started giving themselves away to the, to the city of Ankeny and it began to, to grow and more and more people began to get connected with this God who is renewing all things. And now you've got Prairie Ridge Church in Ankeny, which is this large church doing some really amazing things. Oh, and it's big and bold and beautiful. And none of those people are special. <laughs> They'd be like, wait a minute. No, they're not any different than you and me and us. We're the same. And then about 14 years after that, they called this other couple from Michigan who came and gathered a group of people normal people with all their warts and flaws and inadequacies and all their fears and all their failures. And they gathered them together and they, they started this church called Renew Community. And we call ourselves Renew Community. Why? Because that's what God is up to in the world. See, I am making all things new. And so we gather together around that simple idea that we're following Jesus to renew lives that renew the world. And it is our expectation as we give our lives to this, that God will show up and do what only God can do, actually renew lives, actually transform lives and transform this community, putting things back together again. So look, we're not here for ourselves. No, we've never, from day one, we've not been here for ourselves. Sure, we experience grace here and we love coming here and experiencing the presence of God and the love of God and it's good and right and beautiful, but it doesn't end right there. We're a part of something much, much bigger than ourselves. We, we are a part of God's mission of transformation and restoration of the whole world, helping the sin-stained world go from garden to that back to garden again. 
That's what we're caught up in. How do we do that? Well, we sort of get to figure that out as we go. And we're continuing to figure out what the specifics look like. But the way in which we do it, I think, is even more important. How do we do it? What's the way in which we do it? We don't do it the way the world does it. We don't do it according to the pattern of this world. We do it according to the pattern of Jesus. So we don't try to grab power and then force it on people. That's not how this works. That's not how Jesus worked. In fact, the Bible says that Jesus didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. So it's this power to force people to do whatever it is we want them to do. He let go of that. So he emptied himself and became one of us and took on the form of a slave and became obedient, even obedient unto death on a cross. Right here, we're about to celebrate communion where Jesus gave himself away. So we're not going to force this on people. We're going to invite people into this new reality, this new community that God is creating, one that works with God in order to bless, in order to give ourselves away after the pattern that Jesus gave us, right? Knowing that God is faithful, knowing that God is with us, knowing that as we as we give ourselves away, as we empty ourselves, that more and more people will be drawn to that kind of love, will be drawn to that kind of community. And then if enough of us get in on it, it just sort of spreads and bubbles up like a seed dying in the soil and it grows up and becomes a tree. Oh, and it gives grace to the world around it. That's why we're here. So Jesus, on the same night he was betrayed, he took bread. And after he gave thanks for it, he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this and remember me. Then after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. As often as you drink of it, do so and remember me. The gifts of God for the people of God come for all things are now ready.